Welcome everyone to Fresh Principles Podcast. As always, this is Trees, and I'm joined by my good brother. Elliot, you know it. I'm here, ready to go. You know it. Sounds, uh, you sound pretty excited, man. Oh, I am excited. All this right. is uh, this is going to be an interesting one. All right, okay. It's going to be a good episode. So today's episode, we will be discussing in more detail hydrogen. Uh, we'll be going into hydrogen as a form of energy, how it could be used for transportation, how it could be used for large-scale applications such as the electrical power grid, um, and yeah, just uh, where it comes from, all that good stuff, and uh, yeah, let's just, without further ado, dive deeper into the subject of hydrogen. Yeah, yeah. So H2, hydrogen gas, you might have heard that it's the most abundant uh, substance in the universe. That's great, but how can we actually use it? How can we utilize it? Because that was the biggest issue with nitrogen for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Nitrogen, really abundant, didn't have many sources of it, then eventually figured out a process of getting it out of the atmosphere. So and into the soil and into the soil, yeah, freaking crazy. Everybody think about that. It's, it's wild. Uh, I mean, it's it's incredible that we figured that out, and it has allowed us to be on this earth in the way that we're on this earth. Because without the um, advent of agriculture uh, in to that scale with the fertilization uh that they achieved through utilizing nitrogen that's in the air and fixing it it's uh we wouldn't be able to produce the crops uh, on the scale that we do with the amount of land that we have all that uh, uh would not have existed and one thing to note is that in dry air about 78 79 percent of it is nitrogen Mm-hmm. You know, you think of it as oxygen, but only 21% around there is actual O2, stuff that we breathe and need. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy how uh, technological innovations can allow for almost exponential returns. One small thing can change the game completely. And that's what that's the push that's necessary for hydrogen to get it to that next level as well because the uh, same with steel production nitrogen production all these different um industries that required innovations in order to imp- improve either scaling decrease cost all those things that are necessary for large-scale production it seems like the push hasn't necessarily been there for hydrogen to have that leap uh, have that capacity to um to to take that next step of yes. large-scale mm-hmm. integration because yeah, yeah exactly just because to backtrack on hydrogen this uh, the hydrogen um uh, mechanism whether it's combustion or whether it's the uh, using a the electrolysis of creating hydrogen these are things that have been used for hundreds of years now since the 19th century in the 1800s, these uh, were processes that were known. So we're looking at almost 200 years where we're familiar with these mechanisms of utilizing hydrogen. But for some reason, for whatever the reason may be, people might argue, whether it's political, whether it's the, you know, there hasn't been a push from industry, whatever it might be, 
it just hasn't grown to that large scale application. So what is hydrogen? Hydrogen is H2, two hydrogen protons that are combined together. One of the advantages of hydrogen um, when it comes to our, uh, the electrical use of hydrogen is that when you use hydrogen in an, electro, in an electrolytic process, you have your hydrogen H2, it's split up into your hydrogen proton, uh, you have your anode, um, usually some sort of uh, platinum, whatever. It splits your hydrogen. It, it goes through a membrane. Your your um, your electrolytic electrolytic membrane, and you have your protons traveling through that. You have your electrons traveling at the other end, and then when you split your electrons, now you can make a current. So because a current, what it is, just electrons going through it. So by um, then combining oxygen, right, which we have abundantly from the air, we combine oxygen at the end of the anode to the cathode, right? So with our protons that start out at the anode, they get pushed to the cathode and combine with oxygen in order to generate H2O, good old water, as your byproduct. So in theory, it's considered to be a net neutral uh, or net neutral in terms of the carbon emissions. There's no carbon emissions that are associated with your fossil fuel combustion, right? So in that sense, it does pose some advantages. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if anybody was confused by that process being explained, the process which takes place inside a fuel cell, you're not alone. It's a pretty crazy fascinating processes going on here um and what i want to say to that is that hydrogen let's just talk about what that hydrogen is just the gas the h2 mm -hmm. okay that that is its own thing that comes in all right and then what do you and that that can be stored in um its own container and shipped as just a gas but when you actually want to produce electricity electricity from hydrogen you need the fuel cell which then under the hydrogen gets inputted into it and that whole process that was, was just explained occurs and let me just recap so is hydrogen comes in oxygen comes in and you need some sort of catalyst that's usually platinum and out you know uh at the end you got water exiting and you got electricity uh flowing basically right mm -hmm. exactly exactly and it's a, such a simple process when you think about it. And it, it, this is what has been known. The fuel cell process has been known for hundreds of years, but for whatever reason, it hasn't been fully developed into a, a system that is within large scale application. Now there are certain companies that are trying to do that and um, we'll, we'll go into that. But uh, some of the challenges that have been um, focused around the very nature of uh, accepting hydrogen is because we've all maybe seen and heard the um, the image of that uh, flying air balloon that was the Zeppelin. The Zeppelin. Uh, what was it called? Do you remember? It was like the no. I it was can't like the remember. German one. You yeah. know, it was like one of the biggest ones, kind of like the equivalent <laughs> of like the Titanic, but for the dirigible. <laughs> I was like that. I was like that word. <laughs> Instead of the hot air balloons, a dirigible. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and uh, 
it, it, it was it caught fire many people died so whenever people think of like hydrogen for uh, hydrogen power they always have that image and then they're like oh no it's not safe but then when you think about it we like regular gasoline combustion we have to take safety precautions we have to take certain measures in order to make sure that they're safe and whether it's not smoking at your gasoline station or the the method in which the the actual fuel is transported and stored you know that there's safety measures um that are, that are taken into account for example the tanks and stuff and it's it, there's safety measures that have to be taken regardless so it, it's it's difficult to um get over that psychology that people have in their minds about oh the safety of it but i think that it is one that can be uh overcome just because we do it on a daily basis there's cars that are running on natural gas there's cars that are running on diesel you know we we have and and one, one of the benefits of hydrogen is that because it's so light if there is a leak instead of pooling up like uh, certain fuels would, what happens is that it just vaporizes into the air since it's lighter than air. So th there are some cer certain safety benefits that um, hydrogen does pose. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and we're going to get into it, but mm -hmm. I want to say I agree. There are safety concerns, and some of them are unique to hydrogen and are different than other fuels that we use, but I agree that we can overcome them. And I want to... Add this to everybody. Every, I want everybody to think about this, I should say, is that this whole thing kind of reminded me of the whole Thomas Edison, Nicholas, Nikola Tesla battle over the currents, okay? Uh, in, in that story, in that, you know, you had uh, Nikola, uh, Tesla doing the AC alternating current and you had uh, Edison pushing direct current DC, right? And Edison pulls this stunt at one point um, or this is how the story goes, where there's some New York murderer, basically, that uh, is being sentenced to death by electric chair. And he uh, he convinces them to use AC power uh, and the electric chair to basically show how dangerous it is. And uh, and uh, in, a, in, a t in an attempt to smear Nicholas Tesla because he was competing with him, right? But mm -hmm. fast forward to today... And all our houses have alternating current, okay? Yeah. But the point there is the use of uh, a competitor saying, hey, this is more dangerous, therefore you shouldn't use it, is like the oldest um, trick in the book. Trick in the book. Yeah. It is, well, you know, so when we talk about why certain technologies have been taken off and, you know, there's documentaries on who killed the electric car and we can talk about the grip the iron grip that the oil and gas industry has on the world now um these are all players and there's i wouldn't say any one of them has completely uh been the, the cause of it and and i can only speculate in some regards to this um like what what really has stopped this but i wanted to uh, point out it was um elon in our last episode or was it was our episode on carbon tax where he talks about you know if uh, the fundamental good of tesla is that if we can do one thing it's that we we uh we increase the rate at which sustainable energy um uh, or sustainable energy uh, the utilization utilization of sustainable energy, energy. Uh, yes. it comes to our future so yeah. keep that in mind 
you know, um, the reality is some technologies have been used longer and worked on longer and therefore are going to present as being better because of all the time and energy we've spent on them, making them that way. So some of these new technologies are just in their, not necessarily in their infancy, but they're in their adolescence. And um, so you're still going to have them act up and cause problems. And and people are going to, every time a problem is going to come around, every time, uh, this is maybe a bad example, but every time a self-driving car, uh, you know, crashes or kills somebody, it's going to be, you're going to have people saying, well, that's the reason why we don't proceed any further on this. And somebody else saying, well, da, 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 they're going to argue about it. But every time something goes wrong, it's going to be a check mark for where, you know, um, uh, somebody just decide what, if they want to proceed with this, but uh, with, with the technology. Now, I think that you have to not disregard the times it goes wrong. I, I don't like that. Like you have to look at a track record of something and go, okay, some technologies or some things that we make if there's a you know enough things that go wrong with it you might have to scrap it and go back to the drawing board okay <laughs> that's i'm not saying just keep pushing forward even though it, it uh it causes thousands problems. of people are dying yeah. screw it keep going <laughs> keep going um <laughs> that's of course stay, stay the course just stay on target we're still getting profit <laughs> yeah. fuck it yeah. um but uh no, that's not the point i'm, I'm just saying um that any new technology is going to have hiccups and the just one or two or three hiccups aren't necessarily a reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater. yeah and it's kind of like what you said like it's going to be accentuated by the the, the players of the game that uh, have something to lose with that new technology becoming more developed if you have all your chips invested in a competing technology then yeah you're going to go out of your way and point out all the flaws all the things that are wrong with that particular new technology uh, which kind of like you touched on with who killed the electric car maybe with some oil and gas players that had some influence uh, you know not to say that that's exactly what took place but you have to look at the 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 demand, the supply, all these things. But it is to say that uh, hydrogen definitely has its naysayers. And funny enough, one of them is Elon Musk, which I find really interesting because considering the fact that he tried to build Tesla, which is an electric car company, he would have had so much opposition towards that premise of why would you build electric car? It's dumb, it's more expensive than uh, gasoline power vehicles, this and that. And when you hear him talk about the hydrogen vehicle, it's kind of interesting because he almost has that exact same mentality and those same remarks towards hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, which he would have received towards his electric vehicles Mm -hmm. from gasoline power vehicles. So it it just seems kind of really ironic and hypocritical when I hear him just bash on hydrogen powered vehicles just because like, dude, you weren't you in those same shoes like just a few years back? Like how quickly you must forget. I don't know. It's it's, it's kind of funny to me. Yeah. Now, I, I, now I have the clip because I want to, okay. you know, let's let, let's hear it from let's the horse's it. mouth. But I want to point out that this clip was from Elon in 2015. So it's six years old. Um, Maybe his views have changed. I don't think they have that much, but because I've seen him tweet more recently about this. But keep that in mind. It's 15 years old, and here is uh, uh, here's his thoughts on hydrogen. 
Okay, let's uh, jump into clip number one. I don't want to turn this into a debate on hydrofuel cells because I, I just think that they're extremely silly. Um, um, so the and the people have published there's multiple sort of uh, rebuttals of it of it online. Um, I mean the it, it's just very difficult to to make hydrogen and store it and use it in a car. Um, it, it, uh, hydrogen is an energy storage mechanism; it's not a source of energy. Um, so you have to get that hydrogen from somewhere. If you get that hydrogen from from water, so you're splitting uh, H2O, uh, the, the electrolysis is extremely inefficient as an energy process. Um, so the you know if, if you compare if, if you say took a uh, solar panel and use that the energy from that solar panel to just charge a battery pack directly uh, compared to uh, try to split water, take, take, the, take the hydrogen, dump the oxygen, com compress the hydrogen to an extremely high pressure or liquefy it um, and then put it in a car and run, run a fuel cell. Uh, it, it, is, it is about half the efficiency. It's terrible. Like, so why, why would you do that? It makes no sense. And then uh, hydrogen is, has very low density. Um, it's a pernicious molecule that likes to get all over the place. Um, you, you get metal embrittlement from, from, from hydrogen. If you get a hydrogen leak, it's an invisible gas. You can't even tell that it's leaking. Um, uh, and, but then it's extremely flammable when, when it does and has an invisible flame. Um, if you're going to pick an energy storage mechanism, hydrogen is an incredibly dumb one to pick. You should just pick uh, methane. That's much, much easier, or propane. Um, and, and like, you know, hydrogen fuel cell, the, the best case hydrogen fuel cell doesn't win against the current case uh, batteries. So then obviously, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. That, that will become apparent in the next few years. There's no, need, no reason for us to have this debate. I've said, uh, you know, my, my piece on this, it will be super obvious as time goes by. Super obvious when time goes by. I I imagine he's going to be proven, proven wrong based off the research I've done for this podcast, but I love how he starts that off with, I, I don't want to make this uh, into a debate about hydrogen, and then and then proceeds to <laughs> make it a debate. <laughs> give his whole uh, two cents on it and just, uh, you know, those are fighting words, man. Um, it's like, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about it. And uh, what I've done here, just so you know, it, I've kind of gone through what he said there uh, verbatim and kind of broken it down. So uh, before I get into that, was there anything that jumped out of you uh, from what you heard there? Yeah, I mean, uh, w one thing that he talks about is the storage of hydrogen and the the conversion, you know, from your electrical grid um, and, and from a different power source, from a primary power source into hydrogen as a secondary power source. And I think that's an important thing to touch on, that hydrogen is a secondary form of energy. It's not a primary form of energy. So where you have your natural gas, you have your fossil fuels, you have your solar, whatever, that's your primary form of energy. And then that is used to then convert into hydrogen, which is a form of energy storage. Uh, similarly, though, that's fundamentally what electricity is as well. So when we look at electricity, electricity is also a secondary form of energy because it, we don't have a primary means of electricity. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a secondary form that's generated after we have our initial form of energy that's created. Yeah, I assume like if you were capturing lightning, that would be one way of 
almost yeah. considering your primary. But yeah, so hydrogen is an energy carrier. You you can't just dig into the ground and find a pocket of hydrogen like you can find a pocket of natural gas, which is just mostly methane. Um, yeah. So, but even even fuels that are primary, such as methane or natural gas and um, petroleum they have to be refined but in the refining usually involves removing impurities it's not uh it's not manipulating the chemical bonds in such a way that you're creating something completely new it's more about like cleaning it up mm-hmm. um so yeah uh that's what's so great about hydrogen i think in many ways is, is it has so many applications because it uh you're 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 storing energy in a physical thing a gas and if you get that gas you know under enough pressure and you cool it down enough it can become a liquid which we'll get into a little bit but yeah it's this it's the secondary uh form of energy it's an energy carrier and this is a concept um that it's good to explain because uh that'd be something it's kind of uh you hear people say energy carry but what what the hell does that mean you know Mm -hmm. um next thing is that i mean obviously he's going to point out all the flaws of hydrogen and none of the flaws of electric which isn't the goal of this episode necessarily to talk about the flaws of electric power vehicles which Mm -hmm. i I personally am a fan of uh, but uh, but you know it it does have when you do compare the vehicles of a hydrogen nature, which is based on the fuel cell versus an electric um, vehicle, electric power vehicle, uh, that's just straight electric, there are some changes. There are some disadvantages and advantages on both sides. Some, If you look at purely efficiency, okay, that's one thing, but then there's other convenience factors, such as the time that's necessary for refueling. Similar to your gasoline powered vehicle, your hydrogen powered vehicle, you can refuel within a minute. You don't have to spend 20, 30 minutes just chilling at a uh, refueling station, So, which allows for long distance hauling, right? So again, um, we, we have to, whenever somebody says, oh, that, like that's dumb, that doesn't make sense. It's like, you have to look at within what context or within what assumptions that you're looking at and i don't think that elon musk is being very honest when he portrays the the conversation in in that light and obviously he it's his prerogative he's trying to sell you his tesla's electric vehicles that's great but you know it also doesn't consider for example the the distance um that is required or that the vehicle is capable of traveling. So um, hydrogen-powered vehicles, that fuel cell vehicles, have been shown to have much longer distances that they're able to go before requiring refueling. So that's another benefit in the hydrogen um, uh, category. So, uh, but again, I don't want it to be like fully like, okay, which one's better, which one's not. That's not the goal of this podcast. It's more just to get an idea of where hydrogen can be used. Maybe we can do like another episode later on where we go fully in depth on the breakdown. Um, but I just wanted to kind of point out that there are benefits that hydrogen power vehicle does have over the just purely electric vehicle. Oh, and I have some clips about it. So we will get into a little okay. bit t- today for we'll sure. We'll talk about it. Okay. I wonder, it just, just came to mind, but you know, Elon Musk, he's an engineer, he's a businessman, he's out there running a bunch of different companies, and he gets it through his head as he's trying to develop an electric car company to call hydrogen silly and dumb. And using those words, 
is uh, unwise, I would say, because you call something dumb, like it's it's pretty harsh. Like it's a technology like hydrogen has its problems, but in no shape or form is it dumb or silly. Yeah. But you say that and you get a laugh from somebody, and then you, for, as an you know the crowd you know sees him as a genius. Oh my goodness, Elon's saying it's dumb, and they go, oh he must really believe it's dumb, and that's why he's not investing in it. And I go, but why isn't he investing in it? Because he's investing in all these different uh, ventures, right? It's not like he's strictly uh, electrical, you know. It, maybe he almost handcuffed himself to be outside the industry of hydrogen by being so critical of it uh, up front in his attempt to push his electric. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But do you mm-hmm. think like him using words like silly and dumb and fool cells and mind-bogglingly stupid, like those type of words are overly harsh from somebody uh, who's an engineer who who uh, knows like people are actually investing in doing crazy stuff with hydrogen. So. I almost feel like he almost handcuffed himself. What do you think of that? Yeah, like his his own ego is preventing him from seeing the the benefits that it does hold. Uh, that that could that could be it because he's almost taking such a harsh stance that if he were to turn around on it, then I'm sure there'd be like a host of internet trolls that would then come roast him, be like, "Oh, you're such a hypocrite! Uh, you said it was stupid." Yeah. But yeah, I do think that it's kind of like irresponsible for him to say that kind of stuff because if your whole goal is to get the planet on towards sustainable energy then and, and sustainable and renewable energy sources then hydrogen should naturally be a part of that and there's plenty of literature from plenty of smart people that does look at that uh, possibility and i just think that's kind of foolish for him to uh, go down that route because again some when he was earlier on in his career with tesla he would have probably received much the same criticism of people saying oh that's fool's errands that's silly why go down that route so it just boggles my mind that he can be that mm-hmm. against it considering how he f- probably faced the exact same stuff so yeah yeah it's just it's just silly um you want to uh, yeah, jump into the next clip. No, not yet. I want to kind of break down a bunch of stuff he said there. So let's, uh, okay, so let me read it verbatim. So hydrogen fuel cells are extremely silly. Hydrogen is an energy storage mechanism. It's not a source of energy. So you have to get that hydrogen from somewhere. Okay. So you have to get that hydrogen from somewhere. And basically there's two ways of doing this, uh, two categories. One is where you use electricity to uh, power uh, electrolysis to split water and generate hydrogen gas and this is the form that's considered green this is the 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 way of making hydrogen that doesn't involve using uh, petroleum hydrocarbons or methane but it actually only makes up less than five percent of the way most people uh, right now are making uh, hydrogen. The other way people are making hydrogen is through uh, reforming. Uh, now, this is uh, this is interesting because when we talk about how do you make hydrogen, you're talking about upstream. Are we still involving hydrocarbons? And we are to a large extent. So. Um, about 95% of hydrogen produced in the United States is made from natural gas reforming. 
in large uh, central plants. So 95%, okay? Now this isn't a complete loss and we'll talk about why that even if you start to make hydrogen using natural gas reforming, there are net benefits uh, uh, to to using hydrogen and putting into cars. Um, but the idea of making green uh, hydrogen in the sense you're just using electricity from renewable sources like wind and solar to power electrolysis to split the water, that so far only makes up a very small amount of the way hydrogen is made and is harder to achieve. So that was that's just one I want to put out right there. Um just to just yeah. to add to that, um both it, it both of those are very well understood technologies though. And I think that's actually one thing that he said that I also want to touch on that uh, where he said it's a really inefficient process, um the, the electrolysis, so splitting um, you're spitting your water or um, yeah he said that it was an inefficient process right the whole electrolysis process um, and con- converting electricity into hydrogen for for storage and I've, I found a source that said that electrolysis is 70% efficient so you have 30% of the energy you put into um, electrolysis gets lost yeah and but that's still pretty good I mean I, I've, I've even heard like 20% loss too so so, mm-hmm. so 70 to 80% mm-hmm. efficiency which is not bad uh like it's not it's not the best but it's not the worst either um so from from that point of view I, I think that again he's trying to cast it in a negative light and or in a more negative light than it actually is yeah because when you look at natural gas power plants like they're operating at like what 60 percent efficiency something like that um i couldn't tell you but yeah, yeah the, i mean it's, it's just to say that w- nothing is operating at 100 percent efficiency so if you're at 70 to 80 percent for that conversion and uh that, that's that's not bad at all and we do have technology we these are well understood technologies the electrolysis process yeah. um and w- when we have hydrogen that is used for um uh in the fuel cell Mm -hmm. we have to consider how it's generated and Mm -hmm. i think that's a really important thing that you just brought up is that you you can generate hydrogen in different ways whether it's via using electricity or with methane uh, reformation i think that that that's where the whole green hydrogen comes in yeah and into question and when we have green hydrogen so what, what does that actually mean it means that you your whole process comes from like carbon neutral sources so if you're using if you have your surplus uh ele- electricity or a surplus energy that's coming from solar surplus energy that's coming from wind the benefit of hydrogen storage on a large-scale grid really comes in when you are using those renewable technologies and you have surplus generation at times when the demand isn't there so that's where hydrogen storage can really be beneficial because when you're generating an energy but the so you have a lot of supply but the demand isn't there from people actually using it then that energy goes to waste that electricity goes to waste so the whole idea behind hydrogen storage is that hey why don't we actually store this in some sort of media again that's where the whole idea of a secondary energy source or secondary energy medium comes in where it can be used and 
uh, stored for long, long, uh, longer durations, which it can be more so than an electric battery. So oh, yeah, and I mean, you're talking about uh, electricity going to waste. Might as well get seventy percent of that back and stored as hydrogen, than have it go to waste. And, and waste is interesting because there are ways to transport it to other locations. But you know, there's all the infrastructure and logistics with that, and there's obviously infrastructure and logistical issues with making hydrogen too but i i just think it it really when when combined with anything that's uh generating surplus energy whether it's a hydroelectric dam which is a big one here in canada could open the door for uh just a great way to keep uh, uh the possibilities of what you could do with that excess energy uh open to a broader spectrum like of of, of uses if you do it as hydrogen instead of just ship selling it uh down the lines to a neighboring province or maybe or, you just, or maybe even just grounding it you just like waste it so it's like what, what's what's dumber just wasting a bunch of energy that you've already generated or storing it in a proven method that has been shown to work and then using it at a later date when you actually do need that supply that you've stored because we're not doing it with batteries elon sorry maybe i don't know he was talking about more for application for vehicles mm -hmm. and this is your uh different from large-scale storage of it that would be applicable to the grid but it just kind of shows that you have to look at the the big picture where if you're already generating this energy and it's going to waste then why not store it? What would be the downfall of that? Like, how is that dumb in any, how's that, how that mind-boggling? Is it dumber to just waste it and just do nothing with it? Like, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I wanted to read this. So this was uh, hydrogen production uh, through natural gas reforming. And this is from the U.S. Department of Energy's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. So remember before I said 95% of hydrogen is is in the US currently is being made through natural gas reforming. And they're saying, this is what they wrote. They say, why is this pathway being considered? Okay, reforming low cost natural gas can provide hydrogen today for fuel cell electric vehicles, FCEVs, as well as other applications. Over the long term, DOE, Department of Energy, expects that hydrogen production from natural gas will be augmented with the production from renewable nuclear and coal with carbon capture and storage and other low carbon domestic energy resources. So they're saying hydrogen production, they believe in the future, will be augmented, so driven forward or helped by increases in renewable energy, increases in nuclear and injuries in coal, all of these things, well, coal with carbon capture. Okay. They go on to say petroleum uses, uh, uh, sorry, petroleum use and emissions are lower than the gasoline powered internal combustion engine vehicles. The only product from a FCEV tailpipe is water vapor. But even with the upstream process of producing hydrogen from natural gas, as well as delivering and storing it for use in the FCEVs, the total greenhouse gas emissions are cut in half and petroleum is reduced over 90% compared to today's gasoline vehicles. So that last sentence I think is key. So even if you were to continue to use um, 
natural gas to make your hydrogen and you weren't going to go you know you use electrolysis then you still substantially 90 percent reduction in petroleum use by doing this granted this is uh you know assuming that all cars have been retrofitted to take on hydrogen but the idea that um you'll hear critics say well you're just hiding where the actual emissions are and you are changing it it's the same way it's the same thing with the electric cars and we've talked about this even before you know there's still the mining and there's still the use of hydrocarbons downstream but it's in 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 this case here with with hydrogen and the same with evs is you've changed the amount of emissions uh, whether it's emissions that you, you're concerned about for air pollution or emissions you're concerned about for climate change, you've reduced the, those from happening in your cities with these vehicles. And overall, it's been reduced um, in other ways uh, by 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 still using fossil fuels. Right? You know, we haven't just completely abandoned them uh, and, and got rid of them. They're they're instrumental in kind of like a stepwise approach to ushering in these new technologies. Um, does that make sense? What I yeah, I mean, uh, they they all have to. It's it's a, it's a sequential process, and it's a, a bunch of things that have to be done together. Like hydrogen isn't a silver bullet; it's not the end all be all. But how it's used with in complementary of these other technologies that are becoming more more widely used and accepted within the electrical grid then you start to see where hydrogen fits into the picture um, I th- and I think that's where uh, the, the conversation needs to be of how is it going to fit in with this new energy landscape where we do have um, more renewables, we do have uh, nuclear, we do have um, hydroelectric and then uh, do, do, what do we value? Do, do we value having um, clean cities that don't smell like trash because that's that, that, or don't smell like uh, combustion you know exhaust because that is uh, I think to me a huge benefit because like I was just um, recently in Vancouver and one thing that I noticed there is that their city it smelled yeah. like poop it didn't smell like <laughs> it, it smelled actually kind of nice. Okay, like where the places where I was at, um, they're using electric buses, right? So you're reducing your emissions from your buses by having them uh, electrically powered. And whereas in other cities, they might be diesel powered, and you don't want to be smelling diesel too much because that stuff is is not too nice to smell. Um, yeah, where were you that? Uh uh, you noted that the diesel use was pretty high. You were in a Just Ottawa. <laughs> Ottawa. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Ottawa. We well, got diesel buses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Like mo- most buses are diesel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, or um, wh- or for example, where I was at, where I re- if you want to know the biggest example of this, okay, let me tell you where the biggest example where I saw of how valuable clean air from your exhaust is. That was, and I might have mentioned this before, was in Nepal mm-hmm. when I went to Nepal. Paul, people over there were using face masks 
for uh, to help them with breathing as a result of all the exhaust that was coming out of the tailpipes of their motorcycles of their cars and and it's several factors that lead to that it's the 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 low quality of the technology so you have low quality combustion happening then you have the the valley uh, of of Kathmandu which is kind of like a a, a valley uh, type of uh, geographic location so it's kind of like a sink for gases to stay and then Mm. it's also um uh, in such a way where there's a lot of um sun that that hits the area and then it generates smog further forcing the gases to stay in the area then you have um uh really small narrow streets really tall buildings so you're almost suffocated with this gas, but literally everywhere you go, again, it's the most extreme example to show what the value of having clean tailpipe emissions is, is that when I, when I came back to Canada, I was like, oh, damn, I'm so, like, take a nice breath. Yeah, like, legit, it's night and day, man. Like, so we, what do we value? Do we value like clean streets? Do we value being able to go into a city and not having it smell like, just real crap you know because it all stays in there and it all mixes with the pee with the poo you already <laughs> that's already bad enough but then you throw in like the, all the tailpipe emissions yeah you can imagine like a city like toronto doesn't smell the nicest not every city has got a stink to it and it's not just all uh tailpipe but you know <laughs> yeah. uh i think you made an interesting point there which is the geographic uh location combined with the uh, geography the elevation of the land uh, changes the way uh, weather occurs in uh, and around a city and and some cities that are in a uh, a spot that makes them more windy can kind of get away with it but mm-hmm. other places that are perhaps in like a valley or even vancouver is interesting because their weather is so dictated by the ocean and the mountains and all that Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on how things go, you could have a lot of air sticking around for a bit uh, in certain locations, which just amplifies the issue, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to just continue on with Elon here. Uh, yep. So he says, he says, so if you took a solar panel to charge a battery pack directly compared to, to try to splitting... Uh, let me start again. So if you took a solar panel to charge a battery pack directly compared to tr- to try splitting w- water, I just wrote it wrong. That's why it uh, takes the hydrogen, take the hydrogen, dump the oxygen, compress the hydrogen to extremely high pressure to liquefy it, then put it in a car to run a fuel cell. It's about half the efficiency. It's terrible. Why would you do that? It makes no sense. Okay, so... He's talking about the whole process here, but one of the ones, one of these processes I want to talk about: compress hydrogen to an extremely high pressure to liquefy it. Now, this is not something that's unique to hydrogen, but it, it uh, it's something that you have to deal with all types of gas fuels, such as propane and methane. But there's a catch with hydrogen. Hydrogen is harder to work with. So propane, everybody knows. Most people know what propane is. They get it for their barbecue, right? Inside that canister is liquid propane and it's under pressure, but it's at, you know, normal atmospheric, uh, outside normal temperature, atmospheric pressure inside, it's at pressure. And as soon as you open it up, that liquid uh, 
turns to a vapor as it as the pressure changes as it comes to atmospheric pressure. Okay, propane is very easy to change to a liquid um, uh, just by uh, increasing its pressure, and you do that because gases are less dense. You can fit less of them into a container. So when we're talking about economically transporting a fuel, you want to put it as densely, uh, make the space that it occupies as small as possible. So propane uh, works very nicely for that. When you deal with something like natural gas, okay, it takes uh, not just pressure, but a decrease in temperature to liquefy it. So a lot of places they are connect. A lot of cities are connected to gas uh, lines, and that is, uh, 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 you know, that's a vapor form. That's a gas form of natural gas coming through the pipe. But when they put that on a, a sea, uh, uh, you know, a, a ship to in, or to transport it, they often uh, change it to a liquid form, and that requires that they basically drop the. Uh, um, the temperature of it, and I have it here somewhere, and they increase the pressure. Uh, let me see here. So keep uh, to keep methane liquid at room temperature. Okay, th- here's an example. So let's say you don't you don't decrease the temperature to keep methane at a liquid as a liquid at room temperature requires a tank that maintains a pressure of thirty two thousand kPa. That's four thousand six hundred psi. Okay. That is pretty high, considering what your pressure in your uh, in your car tires is around forty psi. So we're talking, you know, four thousand six hundred psi to to compress natural gas. And in comparison, your propane cylinder only requires one hundred and twenty three psi to to change change that to a, a liquid. Um, so basically, four times the amount of or no, three times. Uh, the amount of pressure you put into your tires is what it takes to uh, to change a propane from a gas to a liquid. But uh, hydrogen hydrogen requires even at um, even at five thousand to ten thousand psi at normal normal pressures, uh, hydrogen remains as a gas. You need to basically start to cool it down, much like you do with methane, and you need to tar- start cooling it down re- quite cold, like you were talking negative uh, two hundred. Uh, and 50 degrees C, okay? Uh, methane, it needs to be done pretty close to that as well, but here's the the reality is that methane is just, uh, has a higher density. Methane's density is 0.7 kilograms per meter cubed, whereas hydrogen's density is 0.09 kilograms uh, per meter cubed. So hydrogen might be a great fuel, but to package it and move it it takes more work to get it get it into a uh, into a, a more uh, compact form um, basically so it's eight times less dense than methane um, so there's a logistical problem here uh, with with methane that uh, cannot be ignored um, yeah and I just looked up that number real quick for liquid natural gas it's minus 160 Celsius that is cool that. Okay, one, minus 160 for natural gas, mm-hmm. okay, versus minus uh, 252 for for hydrogen. So it's a little, mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, here's an interesting uh, uh, bit of information. So a volume of around 11 
uh, meters cubed, which is the volume of the trunk of a large utility or com- commercial vehicle, is needed to store just one kilogram of hydrogen, which is the quantity needed to drive 1,000 kilometers. So if you don't compress hydrogen, you need basically the back of a tractor trailer, okay, filled with hydrogen just to drive that car, not just to drive, it's still very impressive, but to drive the car 100 kilometers. So that's going down the high, uh, Wait, highway. 100 kilometers? 100 kilometers, sorry. Okay. So, but an hour of driving down the highway, but you can start to condense it. And it goes on to say, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you compress it, they can, what do they say here? So at, uh, at, at 700 bars, which is, uh, 700 times normal atmospheric pressure, hydrogen has a density of 42 kilograms per meter cube compared to 0.09 kilograms, uh, under normal pressure and temperature. At this pressure, five kilograms of hydrogen can be stored in a 125-liter tank. 125-liter tank, um, which that goes. It goes on to say this technology enables us to store enough hydrogen to allow a car that runs on fuel cell battery to cover between 500 and 600 kilometers between fill-ups. So, it's essential that you compress uh, uh, hydrogen to make it. Except, uh, usable for vehicles in some places not not as important but uh and we do have those uh, those cars we do have those examples like toyota uh they have the mirai mirai 2 that uh functions based off of that whole principle they don't have a liquid uh fuel they don't have liquid gas they don't have liquid hydrogen i should say that's within the vehicle but rather it's a compressed tank and you don't necessarily have to liquefy it so you can go back to what Elon Musk was saying oh you have to, to liquefy it well who says you have to liquefy it you know what I mean like that like if yeah it depends on the application depends on the application p- depends maybe, on the application it maybe you do maybe you don't yeah you know what I'm saying where if you are able to get away with cars that are using hydrogen at a pressurized um as a, as a pressurized gas again those cars are running currently in operation they're being produced by toyota and they are not liquid hydrogen and and they're able to get that level of performance and just to touch actually on the on the storage side of things i wanted to bring up this article that i found which looked at the uh, a different method that was developed for storage that actually tries to address this whole issue and how it is an improvement in the efficiency of hydrogen storage Mm. um uh, so the title of the article is hydro quebec which is the producer of electricity in quebec uh, which is a province within canada is to work on bringing to the commercialization stage hydrogen storage technology developed by the university of south wales so this is a joint partnership between Hydro-Quebec and University of South Wales. And basically um, what it talks about is that they developed a new storage mechanism that helps with the, the storage of hydrogen and uh, just to go into it real quick, mm-hmm. the, the two organizations have signed commercial agreements to transfer the patented hydrogen storage technology arising from a University of South Wales to Hydro-Quebec to enable its commercialization as part of an ongoing efforts to decarbonize industry. 
Um, so one of the, some of the uh, benefits of it are that there's greater storage capacity, less weight for the same storage capacity, increased safety linked to the lower tank pressures. So you you avoid needing to have as much pressure. Um, and, and I'm just trying to get the actual numbers that they gave. Um, but, uh, but, Okay, while you're looking for that, let me jump mm -hmm. in here. Yeah. So Elon continues. He says, then hydrogen has a very low density. It's a pernicious molecule that likes to get all over the place. You get metal embrittlement from hydrogen. If you get hydrogen leaks, it's an invisible gas, so you can't even tell it's leaking. It's extremely flammable. It has an invisible flame. If, you, if you're going to pick an energy storage mechanism, hydrogen is an incredibly dumb one to pick. You should just pick methane. That's much, much easier. Or propane. So I'm going to break down quickly some of these criticisms. So he says it's pernicious. Okay. So pernicious, dictionary definition of it, you know, um, it has a harmful effect, especially in a gradual or, or subtle way, you know. I love this definition that uh, the uh, who, who was uh, the dictionary I got this from. It was the uh, Oxford Language Dictionary. You know how they give an example of um, the word used in a sentence after yeah. they give the definition. So this is their example: the pernicious influence of mass media. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, so. Okay, it, it gets everywhere. Most gases get everywhere. So let's let's jump into some other things. Metal embrittlement. This is a real thing that hydrogen is unique to hydrogen. It uh, storing it in certain metals, um, uh, it it basically weakens them and makes them more likely to crack or break under stress that it or existed in the metal from when it was um, produced or from external stresses that happened. But uh, there are multiple ways around uh, uh, hydrogen embrittlement, which involves coating and uses of other types of materials to prevent embrittlement. So it's not it's not a, it's a it's a barrier but it's not it, it's already been overcome in my opinion so the next one he says hydrogen leak leaks it's an invisible gas so you can't tell it's leaking well guess what methane's a colorless odorless gas you can't tell Say, propane is colorless i believe it's odorless as well often gases that we use for fuel have a chemical added to them to make them uh have an odor so we can notice that they're leaking so i don't again just it's just a common uh danger of fuel gases um so that nothing really new with it being an invisible gas uh it's extremely flammable this is actually justifiable and i want to talk a little bit about a concept so for gases there's something called the lower explosive limit and the upper explosive limit okay to have something burn okay or to combust you need three things right you need air you need the fuel and you need an, an ignition source okay and the ratio of the fuel to oxygen has to be uh has to be right for combustion to happen and so when we talk about um gases having uh, uh explosive limit we're talking about the proportions that when you add that fuel to oxygen blend it with oxygen um it will allow it to 
combust. So if you have not enough fuel mixing with oxygen, it's called being too lean. So if you're too lean, uh, no, you can put a flame into the the mixture, but nothing will combust um, because there's not enough of that fuel in in, in the mixture. And and this is called being below your lower explosive limit. Once you're above your lower explosive limit, you uh, put a match in there and you'll have the explosion happen. But then there becomes a point when you add too much fuel and there's not enough air. This is called the upper explosive limit. And this is when you're, you've got your fuel rich, okay? So with that, that in mind, let's look at three fuels. So we got methane, propane, and hydrogen. So methane has a lower explosive limit of 5% and an upper limit of 17%, okay? So that's so between 5% and 17% you mixture you're going to have an explosion. If propane has a 2.1% is its lower explosive limit and its upper is 6.5 or 9.5, excuse me, percent. So between 2 and around 9% mixture you're going to have explosion. If it gets above 9, it's not going to blow up. If it gets above 17, it's not going to combust. Hydrogen, we got a bigger window, a much bigger window. So for hydrogen, your lower explosive limit is 4, which is pretty close to 5, which is methane, but your upper explosive limit is 75%, okay? Compared to methane, which is only at 17%. So we're talking we're talking the the chances that when hydrogen um, leaves a container and starts to mix with air, there's a larger window for it to create the conditions to allow explosion to happen. However, with that said, it loves to dissipate quickly, very quickly. So it is, uh, I think it's valid to say, yeah, it's extremely flammable, more, more flammable than methane and propane because the conditions to make it flammable exist in a wider range but um this is uh this is uh uh not not a complete barrier i don't think in terms of of its use again it's an invisible flame he says and this is true Uh, other both methane and propane um uh, their flames are not invisible okay but this is what the u.s department of energy said about the safety of hydrogen okay by their nature all fuels have some degree of danger associated with uh, with them this this the this the safer uh, the safe use of any fuel focuses on preventing situations where three c- combustion factors ignition source oxygen and fuel are present with a thorough understanding of fuel properties we can d- uh, we can design fuel systems with appropriate engineering controls and establish guidelines to ensure the safe handling and use of fuel. So they just acknowledge up front all fuels have an inherent danger with them. You understand their property though, you can design around them. It then goes on to say, a number of hydrogen properties make it, a, make it safer to handle and use than fuels commonly used today. Okay, For example, hydrogen is non-toxic. In addition, because hydrogen is much lighter than air, it dissipates rapidly when it is released, allowing for relatively rapid dispersal um, of the fuel in case of a leak. That's such an important thing for them to say because they're they're already saying right there that of of the fuels they use, hydrogen is no uh, is safer 
than some of the ones that are used. So anybody arguing, oh, it's so dangerous. It is, but it's not more dangerous than anything we've, we, we're currently dealing with. And uh, the fact that it's non-toxic and disperses rapidly, that helps, you know, that's that helps. So um, I don't know, did you have those numbers you want to... Uh, to look at uh so they they don't go into too many numbers specifically but the the premise behind the the article was that it's a it's a means of storage in an absorption media so you have the hydrogen that's embedded with uh, is absorbed within a medium that allows for higher percentage of hydrogen to be stored in that medium and then later can be extracted and again this is coupled with a large scale distribution network so again you have uh, uh an electrical grid the power grid you're trying to manage the different loads the different demands and um quebec they have a population of roughly i think 13 million or so mm-hmm. uh 8 to 13 million excuse me if i'm wrong on that but um again it's a pretty large-scale application and it is being used for these industrial um large-scale power grids um, so just to say that there is a lot of movement in in hydrogen investment that isn't just purely for vehicles. So I think that's again, which we've kind of pretty much been talking out throughout talking about throughout this podcast is that, but just to say more clearly that you have hydrogen for many different applications most of it that's produced is used for different um applications on site actually for refining or uh the refining of metals for all all types of different things that aren't even related to uh to a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle or hydrogen power vehicle so that's important to point out that there are many different uses of hydrogen yeah, no, it's such a good point, and I think people get caught up on its use for propelling a, a vehicle, but that might have been where it. you've seen a lot of talk about it, but I will show you that energy producers are thinking that that is actually the end goal, and and in in the interim, as we develop the technology, it's going to be used for direct fuel use, which we'll get into shortly. It's going to be used for energy storage, and it's going to be used for these industri- industrial applications, not 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 your com- commercial car. Pr- that that comes when the infrastructure comes, when the technology comes. So it's almost like we're focusing on the the end technology, like the the downstream technology of where hydrogen might be might be used but really you'll see this vast application of it used in these other areas you know right it's it's a it's a it's a process it's a sequence and we we can't do move number 15 when it's actually move number four mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like yeah. you're, you're you're playing a game of chess it's a complex game of chess and there's a certain sequence that's associated with how do you get to that end goal and we're trying to put the uh, what's the word the cart before the horse or is that expression that you're trying to put the cart yes. before the horse something like that yeah but yeah it was like hold on hold on a minute like yeah we're trying to get to the point of hydrogen to power vehicles but there's many different applications and if we can get hydrogen to be used and generated in a clean manner 
for those different applications. And then once there's hydrogen power generating facilities or hydrogen producing facilities um, that are there, then we can introduce cars because it's kind of like a chicken and an egg thing when you're talking about the vehicles thing where do you get vehicles but there's no hydrogen producers but if there's no uh but then if you have hydrogen producers but then no vehicles then it's kind of like which one comes first well maybe since there's already a demand for hydrogen in different sectors you have hydrogen being produced for those sectors and then gradually introduce the vehicles after the fact but i want to go back to the fuel rich and fuel lean nature of hydrogen that you talked about and that that uh, that's all also could be seen as one of the benefits of it too is that you have a much wider band that you can play around with so you can achieve higher degrees of uh, efficiency with regards to like if you're just looking at the combustion of hydrogen and in an engine in an engine yeah exactly yeah exactly um yeah as as an accident it it, it poses a problem, but when you're trying to you're trying to blend uh, hydrogen with with air to have it explode inside of an engine uh, into in a gas turbine, I think it plays an advantage. Um, yeah, exactly, because that means that you can operate more efficiently. Uh, with different air mixtures. So you're maintaining that efficiency at various mixtures of oxygen. Um, then I, I want to just go back to what he's talked about, the, about the metal embrittlement. Um, and yes, that's an issue. But I mean, there's also the degradation of batteries over time as well. And the... Oh, yeah. And this is like the, the, the chemical nature of batteries and the oxidation that inevitably happens yeah there's a, there's a limited number of recharges you can do to your batteries it's not perpetual and so again there's pros and cons there's technological and engineering barriers with any technology so it's it's so again like he he just seems like the uh, real Debbie Downer for for lack of a better terms. Like oh, there, there is, it causes metal embrittlement. Like yeah. really, like that that's that's what you have metal embrittlement. Like like a, it's, it's kind of like how you pointed out. There's a lot of different methods that we can use to overcome that. Whether it's uh, using some sort of polymer coating or maybe even uh, carbon fiber, whatever. It's just like okay man yeah so like batteries corrode too that's an issue you got to deal with as well it, it, it's just like you know so, so one-dimensional it's so one-dimensional like elon musk doppelganger uh <laughs> ne neon tusk could have yeah. st stood up on a on a uh, you know on a stage and made the same arguments that he just pointed out all the things wrong all the issues you're going to run into doing uh electrical energy you know, it's it, we said it already. Maybe we've said it too many times, but it's just like, yeah, it's the criticism so one-sided, and in that way, it's it's like, okay, mm -hmm. and uh, surely it's not dumb. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, absolutely, it's it's not dumb. Uh, that's that's a bit much, and that's where I I, I go back to my hypothesis that he he used it, he got a laugh from it. And now he's sticking with it, even though it may be uh, a thorn in his side. And um, I have, uh, I, I don't know if you, I have a few more clips. I got clips here about uh, vehicles. I got clips about energy storage. Um, we could skip over that and jump right to it being used as a fuel. Uh, 
what are your thoughts? Um, I yeah, I, th- I think all, all those are, are good uh, to talk about. Honestly, I'm I'm down for for all of it, and um, I have some points to talk about for vehicle. So let me let me just introduce that point, and then maybe we can go into one of the clips. Yeah. But in terms of the the you know when you look at your electric vehicle versus your fuel cell hydrogen power vehicle, one of the interesting advantages that you get with your fuel cell vehicle is that even if you're running low on your hydrogen, you still maintain more or less the same power and quality of car performance. Whereas with an electric battery, the lower the battery gets, the more drained it gets, then this starts to impact the quality of the driving experience. It it impacts the, the power of the vehicle. So that is one interesting advantage that i think that hydrogen does pose that even if you're running low on fuel you're still going to be getting more or less the exact same performance of your right vehicle. till it's empty exactly yeah much like uh much like regular cars gas cars exactly. are today instead of it slowly sh- yeah i think with the tesla it starts to shut down like uh, you know uh superfluous and secondary systems it's like okay we're going to force all the power into just just moving the engine but the heater and the air conditioning is going to turn off and you know um yeah it gets uh well it's much like your cell phone how often do you see with your cell phone as the battery starts to go um the reliability of what it, it predicts it's got left in it gets worse you know mm-hmm. it's like oh you should have three hours left and then it dies like five minutes later yes. you know, battery um battery's got that problem for sure mm-hmm. okay let's get into uh clip three here this is on vehicles from the uh let me back up this is a business insider uh independent guy so but it's coming from a business perspective he's talking about hydrogen cars and the whole elon musk thing so it's perfect uh perfect for this all right clip number three if you ask anyone what the future of cars looks like, they'll probably tell you, it's electric, and that Tesla is at the forefront of the movement. But what if I told you that there's another option that could be just as good or even better than battery electric vehicles? What if you could power cars with the most abundant resource in the universe, with water as the only byproduct? Lies! And they're more likely to disrupt the auto industry than battery-powered cars, like Tesla's. Hydrogen fuel cells have been a technology of great promise, as well as great skepticism. Elon Musk himself often mocks hydrogen fuel cell technology, going so far as to call them fool cells and mind-bogglingly stupid. But major automakers still see promise. First, let's define the terms. Battery electric vehicles, or BEVs, are the electric vehicles that most of us are familiar with today, like Tesla's. They use a battery to store electricity and power the electric motor. A hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle, or FCEV, like Toyota's Mirai, combines hydrogen with oxygen to produce electricity, which then powers the electric motor that drives the car. Now, when it comes to why people don't buy battery electric vehicles like Tesla's, there are three main reasons. Three main reasons. I remember why I clipped it here. What do you think the three main reasons are? If you had to guess. 
um, for not buying a battery electric vehicle like Tesla. One would be uh, like for your classic uh, car enthusiast, they want to feel that power. They want to feel the the combustion engine roar, which you don't get with the with the, the electric power vehicle. I, I don't know if these are the actual ones that he lists, but no, no, I I would call that number four. Okay, number if four. I remember correctly, that's that's number four. But um, that's a valid point. That is. Mm. There are people that like the feel of of of, of driving a gas powered uh, combustion engine car. Yeah, for sure. So that's one. Okay. Uh, another one would be poor performance in cold weather. Sure. I think. Yeah. Um, another one would be the distance issue. Yeah. Um, that that there's a limit in terms of the distance you can travel. Another one would be the long refueling time. Yeah. That's necessary. Um, so the, the, those are the the four that come to my okay, my and mind. I I think I think uh, it basically we'll hear in the next clip, but cost is going to be in there too. Cost, but, yes, yeah. If you course. want, if you play that next clip, next clip, yeah. Okay. Take too long to recharge. They have a limited range before they need to be recharged, and they cost a lot more than your comparable gas-powered car. So, how do hydrogen cars stack up in these areas? When it comes to recharging, hydrogen cars have battery electrics beat. At a supercharging station, a Tesla can charge anywhere from 30% to 50% in 15 minutes, but you'll be at the charging station for over an hour for a full charge. Fuel cell vehicles don't require charging at all. The hydrogen tank is refilled at a hydrogen station in less than five minutes, just like your typical gas station today. That's because FCEVs don't store electricity like a battery. They create it on demand to power the motor. When it comes to range, hydrogen-powered cars seem to come out on top again. Between the three fuel cell vehicles on the road today, they have a range of 312, 360, and 380 miles. Most electric vehicles have a range under 250 miles. While some Tesla models offer a range of more than 300 miles, they often cost more than the average car buyer can afford. Range and refueling times are so important that 78% of automotive executives believe fuel cell vehicles will be the breakthrough for electric mobility. But that's not to say fuel cell vehicles don't have challenges of their own. FCEVs need more competitive pricing. The suggested retail price for the fuel cell vehicles available today is around $60,000, which is about $20,000 more than an entry-level BEV. That's because production size of these vehicles is incredibly low. With only a few thousand or few hundred being made every year, it's nearly impossible for prices to be competitive, but that could soon be changing. Automakers are looking to increase the production of their FCEVs. Toyota in particular has increased its production capabilities tenfold to eventually bring down the cost of its Mirai. Ah, that was way too long of a clip. But I wanted to point out is the uh, what he points out about the distance and the refueling time and about like 72% of auto makers think that this is like very important for um uh you know the popularity of hydrogen in the future i think that's valid i think that's so valid because the reason they're so expensive right now let's talk about the cost prohibitive nature it's just like the electric there's a whole infrastructure side of things that needs to be developed for it to get there but let's say we eventually get there 
then you people don't want to step backwards in terms of what uh, their technology delivers to uh, in the uh, can, can deliver to them. So what I'm saying by that is I don't think people some people don't want to go into the electric because it underperforms from the gas combustion, right? So if you can get something closer that exceeds, um, uh, you know, or is comparable to what the current technology is at the same price mark market, it becomes way easier for people to get on board. Um, but like both cases, the price comes from uh a lot of the fact that there's a little infrastructure coming and like we discussed earlier it's a it's the the cart before the uh, the car- uh, before the horse scenario we're getting ahead of ourselves with the hydrogen once you have hydrogen being used all around for power generation energy storage that infrastructure gets built it becomes easier to move that into uh power stations and then once those exist it becomes more appealing for people to buy the car Mm-hmm. And as one of the criticisms that Elon Musk pointed out uh, as being the the storage and transportation of hydrogen, well, when you do it in such a manner where, kind of like is mentioned in this video, where you have your hydrogen fueling stations, and if it's generated on site, right, which you can do because all you need is electricity to that station, then it's uh, being uh, then at that station you have hydrogen generated. Subsequently, then this kind of avoids the whole issue of. Uh, transport of transporting hydrogen because it's made on site you don't have to deliver it like how you would deliver your your uh, gasoline to your gasoline um, tank your gas station yeah. or your gas tank rather you have your hydrogen fueling station you have electricity that comes to it you hook it up with an electrolysis machine and an electrolyzer and then you simply when you have that those moment and again if we're moving towards a green sustainable uh, quote unquote uh, power grid which is what Elon Musk is all about mm-hmm. then we're going to have more renewable energies well when you have those renewable energies and they are generating power that's not being utilized, why not convert it into hydrogen? Okay, now you have hydrogen. Okay, so then you have hydrogen fueling stations that are almost generating free hydrogen in a sense, uh, you know, after your capital costs and all that stuff. But then you have hydrogen on site, and then you have your vehicles that are able to go and refuel as necessary. So you, you've cut out those those issues of, of uh, storage and transportation because it's on site. And I, I wouldn't say you've cut, got rid of them, but you basically presented another option for it. Because I foresee, like anything, if you're close enough to uh, a mega product uh, producer of, of hydrogen, like one of these reforming plant, plants, it may make sense economically to run the pipe to directly to your fuel station. You don't need to – you just transport underground through a pipe, goes to your, your fuel station. Uh it might make uh, economic sense sometimes to, if you're close to some place that massive uh, does mass storage of it and puts uh, hydrogen into a tank, you'll just ship those off. But like you said, you still have the 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 option of making in like remote areas where it makes more economical sense to not transport hydrogen there. Have hydrogen production right on site. You have your renewable energy. 
you make hydrogen, you can press it on a site, guy pulls up in his truck, hydrogen fuel cell powered, and he fills up it fills up his tank. You know, it, it's it's just, can you say that for uh, gas? Of course you can't. You can't create gas. Gas always, always comes from the refineries, always requires transportation. And there's emissions during that transportation. Right. And so, so when you compare hydrogen even to to gas, to gasoline, and and that um, system that's currently in place, you see benefits as well. So, you can't just compare hydrogen to electricity or battery electric cars because we're still competing with different types of cars here. We it's not only battery electric that have taken over the market. We're still competing with combustion engines as well. And uh, how does hydrogen benefit in relation to those? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it does present that that benefit of on-site fueling, and that that's just the point that I really want to hammer home. If you could take away one thing from this podcast, to me the most important thing is that when we have a power grid that's based off of renewable energies and we're generating surplus power, why not store it? in a method that allows for long-term storage which is better than your battery electric battery electric is good for short term it's not good for your long-term storage um and hydrogen is it's it's not only me that's saying that there's plenty of academic research that is going down this route so again to think of it as a fool's errand i think is really dismissive and irresponsible you're right it's not just you saying it you want to hit clip clip number six application for hydrogen that has experts excited is the ability to use it for storing renewable energy that would otherwise be wasted. What's really made hydrogen come on the scene now is the simple fact that we have so much renewable power on the electric grid in places like California and Texas, which we didn't have 15 years ago. But with all this renewable power on the grid, we are now getting substantial curtailments of electricity, which is a market signal that we need storage. And so the reason hydrogen's really caught on right now is people are realizing it's really sort of an ideal way to store renewable power for long periods of time. Mitsubishi Power, along with fuel storage company Magnum Development, are working on a project in Utah which promises to build a storage facility for 1,000 megawatts of clean power, partly by keeping hydrogen in salt caverns. Scheduled to be operational by 2025, the Advanced Clean Energy Storage Project would be the largest clean energy storage system in the world. So we're going to build a very large electrolysis system that will be able to convert renewable power into hydrogen, and then we're going to store that hydrogen in that salt dome for long periods of time so that it can be used when the grid needs the electricity instead of when it's produced. The hydrogen stored in the salt mines will be used by a power plant next door. The Intermountain Power Project, which is in Delta, Utah, is the last coal-fired power plant that's providing power to the state of California and it's scheduled to be retired in 2025. Intermountain Power has selected our equipment to repower that power plant with gas turbines, but they've asked us to make these the first heavy-duty gas turbines ever that can uh, provide this power with a mixture of natural gas and hydrogen. Browning says that initially, the gas turbines will use 30% hydrogen and 70% natural gas. 
but the goal is to use 100% green hydrogen by 2045. Phase one of our ACES project is going to be capable of 150,000 megawatt hours of energy storage. And 150,000 megawatt hours is enough to fuel 30% of an 840 megawatt power plant. And 840 megawatts is enough power to supply one-seventh of the peak needs of the city of Los Angeles. Okay, one-seventh of the peak needs doesn't sound like a lot, but it, you know... It's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. And I wanted... There's so many interesting concepts that came out of that. So first off, salt domes. I had no idea what these were. So if you're listening and going, salt domes, storing hydrogen salt domes, what does that even mean? Well, you're not alone, okay? What this means is there are these geological formations underground that are made up of salt. And you can basically using water to dissolve the salt hollow out these caverns some of them are already kind of hollowed out naturally through uh water uh movement and such but you basically create underground this uh uh, cave uh and once you get the cave big enough and you secure it in all the right places you can use it to store gas and so in utah they're planning to basically make the largest in the world to store hydrogen gas it's great i love it bananas now because this but we're getting to the point which is what are what is what are energy producers really using hydrogen for right now what are they how how are we going to take the steps to make hydrogen uh, something we use and uh, on a daily basis and build our grid off of it. So the idea, uh, the way I understand it is something like this. We already use natural gas, okay? Natural gas, we mine it out of the ground. It's got methane. We've talked about this before. You, you, you pump that over to your power station and you run it through a gas turbine. You ignite it in the gas turbine. The explosion uh, causes... It causes the, the, for lack of my understanding of it, something to rotate and you get your electri- electricity to, to be, it's formed, right? Now they're saying, okay, so we, we use, we use natural gas. What if we start to, to blend in hydrogen? So he was talking about at the beginning, they're only going to have 30% of their gas, the, of their gas being going into these turbines being hydrogen. The other 70% is going to be natural gas, but slowly increasing that uh, amount of hydrogen so the problem he runs into is they, they need to be heavy duty uh, uh turbines and uh you got to build uh, uh, t- uh turbines that can handle um the combustion of hydrogen which is something that uh, uh ge general electronics uh it uh is looking at doing and what we'll talk about a little bit later um did you want to go to the second part of that energy storage one or uh yeah sure uh, so uh, i just wanted to um yeah just comment on what uh, what that guy was saying yeah with um again just how with the the the, the changing of the landscape again we have to always consider how things play within the landscape that we are currently in and how with the advent of more renewables into the the grid that's what can further uh, justify using hydrogen as a form of storage and that's one of the main reasons why 
the it's becoming to make more and more sense because it's about economies of scale and mm -hmm. whether or not you can scale these types of technologies it's not just good enough for them to work in a small reactor in a lab but can it work and then does it make sense financially and if people are willing to spend the money then that's when technologies become adopted and right now people are willing to spend the money because people do see climate change as an issue that does require some attention but even even beyond just that um even just like not looking at it from a climate change point of view because that's so politicized but just from the point of view of do you want clean air do you want to uh, minimize the the amount of tailpipe emissions within cities where we can maybe centralize them to big large-scale uh, producers and then take care of the emissions more locally on site as opposed to having them distributed throughout the whole city it's like these types of little nuanced questions that you have to consider exactly yeah so let's go into the next clip Today, companies like NextEra Energy, EOS Energy, and even Tesla store excess renewable energy in batteries. But there's a big drawback. If you're only storing electricity for a short period of time, it's much better to store it in a battery. You can do that at a lower cost, so there's a better efficiency to that storage process. But if you want to store electricity for a long period of time, uh, battery storage gets more and more expensive. You, need, you have to build more and more batteries. Whereas with hydrogen, we can store it underground in large salt domes for long periods of time at very low cost. Okay, that was just a short one, but I thought it, it's just another good point for the use of this technology. The storage length for hydrogen is much longer than that for batteries. So one thing that came to mind is let's talk about generators. Right now um, in Canada, a lot of industrial buildings – uh, universities, they'll have backup generators in case we get a, a storm that takes down our, our power grid, you know, and you need to have the power back on. So you have uh, diesel sitting around um, in tanks ready to power the generator. Well, an alternative to that now, and is proven, um, is hydrogen. Hydrogen works in that same way. You can just keep a tank of it around and have it available for uh uh, de uh, for for gen uh, power generation, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to think it could become uh, possible that you know even the smaller generators you take camping or uh, you use on the construction site to run any type of electronics, your drills, your your heavy, you know, um, your computer, um, just lighting. You could foresee that you could buy a. A canister of compressed hydrogen and you know fit it into your generator so i'm just showing how this uh it, it can be applied into these different uh, uh in these different ways yeah there's definitely different domains of application whether it's the large-scale power uh, grid or small-scale generators or vehicles 
um, yeah, the, the, the applications are kind of limitless and uh, we're just bound by our own imagination and creativity. And I think what that gentleman alluded to is the important factor to consider that there's long-term storage benefits of storing that power in hydrogen. So in the form of hydrogen versus electric um, an, an electric battery. So there's, again, we there's no, I think people kind of get into like, these certain ideas and they just know this is the one this is the answer uh they get into their uh, ideological uh, preconceived notions like okay this is the one and it's always the one but you just have to always consider that there's no magic answer there's no silver bullet one size fits all solution when it comes to these types of um questions and concerns because there there has to be like for example geography is considered like we're talking about salt domes here and maybe not every location is con- conducive to having salt <laughs> domes right. where you can store uh, thousands of um, kilograms of, of hydrogen, right? So, again, we have to consider what are the things that we have at play that we can use to our advantage. We have to be a bit creative here. And that's why we have to consider that sometimes, okay, maybe it makes sense to use battery storage. Sometimes maybe hydrogen storage is the, the better alternative when we're looking for more long-term uh, uh, storage applications and, and things of that nature. So it's just always to consider that, hey, we're not necessarily saying one is better than the other, but we're just kind of trying to maybe point out how there are benefits of one. It's not necessarily conclusive that electric batteries are the way to go for energy storage. And there's a lot of evidence to showcase that in certain scenarios, hydrogen is the better option. Maybe in other scenarios, battery electric is the better option. But hey, let's not like just jump the gun and say, no, that's foolish. Why even do that? And just, you know, close the book on that before we even started to read. Let's let's read at least the first few chapters, man. Like, come on, before you judge the book, don't judge the book by its cover, as they say. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we've never said that. This whole podcast has been about... Uh, not us trying to push one technology as the fix-all. In fact, the idea, if if I may sum it up, is we want to look at a whole host of technologies, tailor them to the the characteristics and the needs at the individual city level that can work, okay? Uh, for the geography, for the country, whatever. We, we, we open up the toolbox, we look at what we can use, uh, uh, efficiently, we we trying to peel off the political, the ideological uh, barriers. They're saying no, you can't do this or that. Go okay. Can we use these technologies? Are they good? And we also are big proponents of yeah, we want to see renewables introduced into our grid, but we don't want to see that at the cost of uh, electricity going up crazy astronomical amounts and uh, impacting uh, people's uh, livelihoods by making uh, it just, you know, costly to live, basically. We, we, you just go back and listen to any of our episodes. We talk about all these issues here. Um, what I think, you know, you know, what we're trying to do specifically on this one is say, listen, nobody's talking about hydrogen and we talk, you know, that was the thing, that was my whole bit on uh, energy storage. We did a whole podcast on energy storage and I took... Uh, two or three uh you know uh sources media sources uh, talking about energy storage and all of them were talking battery and gravity systems 
Nobody brought up hydrogen. Why not? And even that one uh, uh, guy that did the uh, the PhD who did that whole paper, he, he was using data from Europe uh, where they use hydrogen uh, and energy storage through hydrogen, and he just kind of just didn't mention it, you know? Yeah. So um, that, that can only be political or, or something because – it's not like we're talking about something that nobody is using. It's a failed technology. No, people are investing. Car companies are investing in it. Uh, lead infrastructure companies are investing in it. In fact, uh, I've got a clip here, clip eight, uh, from uh, the CEO of, I believe it's an Italian uh, or a European uh, company that does infrastructure, much like uh, GM, uh, who talking about the evolution of using hydrogen. Uh, so he says some really interesting things. Do you wanna you wanna click on clip number eight? Talking of various hydrocarbons, it seems that coal's on its way out. That, that is almost uninvestable for many people mm. nowadays. Oil is finding its own problems as well, but gas is contestable. I spoke to Martin Betzler about this um, at Gastech in the last few days as well. And they are still fighting the fight for gas. You are still fighting the fight for gas as well on for various products and compressed natural gas and liquefied natural gas. But there are still echelons of people, um, environmentalists, who just say gas cannot be part of the equation. I think that's true in the very long term. And I think everyone agrees with that. By 2050, at least in Europe, we have to get gas out. We need new types of gas so we can have biomethane, we can have low carbon gases, we can have zero carbon gases like hydrogen but there's still a long way to go to get rid of diesel and coal and replace those with gas is, is very uh, environmentally friendly because it's a lot less co2 and at today's prices it's very convenient for me and yet many people and this is right into your ballpark don't want to invest in that gas infrastructure in, in either whether it's united states or whether it's this part of the world they're concerned about the low prices as well and getting a return on that investment longer term as well is that a realistic concern i, I think it's true that prices right now uh, in many parts of the world are, are extraordinarily depressed so no one's really investing right now but what we need to do is to get gas clean and gas green and and that transition will require hundreds of billions of dollars of new investments we need some policy nudges some pushes some incentives to make it happen not huge not we don't need to do all the things we did for solar uh, but we need some help from policymakers, and that will really unleash a very positive transition will that happen Sorry, I, I finish off in the next clip about that, that interview. A lot is said there. Um, I mean, okay, let me start here. First, he's alluding to, again, how do we move, how do we turn around the battleship? It's a slow turn, okay? We have all these different ways of producing electricity. Uh you got to give a reason to phase them out and 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 one of the things he's saying okay so you start investing in gas turbines and gas turbines can currently be you uh fueled through methane slowly you start to blend that up with hydrogen he's seeing that's a reason to uh um to make that change and you know the the big push uh arguably is the ideas around climate change to to change over here right he's saying okay we need to start investing in that um it's it sounded like people aren't interested in investing in that and uh he agrees with that but he's like okay we need some help policy help now 
policy help is a whole other thing we can talk about because we've <laughs> seen it done right or see, seen it done wrong and um you know we talk about fixing prices and sub- subsidies and uh but he does say he says not you know we don't need everything they did for solar and uh you know you know, solar being what it is, and people saying, "Oh, you know, it's the cheapest way to create electricity." But uh, it's it's one of the things where it's like, and uh, you know, all all the things that we've done to make solar uh, it what it is now, and what we've needed to create solar what it is now. Like we've needed China to to manufacture it in you know in a state where they're just getting all their electricity from coal um, and producing cheap cheap. There's a whole other thing, right? We've we've talked about this before, but point is uh here's a guy looking at the big picture talking about gas being the future talking about it being used in these gas turbines and talking about some of the hurdles um that are in front of him um yeah any any thoughts on that yeah i I think it's uh just like the whole notion that there is a push away from coal and oil and i think that's really important that uh, it is done in such a way where it's um, stepwise, and w- again, we don't go towards the end, the, the move number fifteen when it's actually move number four. Yeah, right. And I think that's what that guy's kind of alluding to. That you know, there's long term solutions and there's short term solutions, and in the intermediary, natural gas does need to be used as a transition away from coal and then from there we can use that to transition towards more hydrogen and i think that there's a lot of opponents to natural gas uh because again they want to get to that final destination as quick as possible however i think in a realistic sense we do need those intermediary steps because we don't want to go out of sequence because then it's going to end up costing even more down the line because something is going to happen that was unforeseen that is just going to lead us to backtrack and say wait we messed this up we should have actually done it like this when we did it like that we did move number 15 when it was time to move number five and i think that's really an an important point um to to consider and uh, i just wanted to Mm. touch on real quick about like the advent of more hydrogen vehicles as well that um when we were kind of talking about when one of the previous clips i actually wanted to say this but i just remember this now when i was talking about uh different car companies and how they're generating fuel uh fuel cell vehicles and he mentioned uh, toyota the uh, mirai and i just looking at this now actually i had found an interesting article that was talking about toyota and how they had created a hydrogen engine uh that's based off of just combustion right so they already have the fuel cell vehicle and now they're developing um with a higher degree of uh energy and a higher degree of resources a a combustion vehicle that's based off hydrogen so you so instead of using a fuel cell you're 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 sending it into uh, an engine where you just basically ignite it? squeeze, bang, blow, baby. Oh, okay. squeeze, bang, blow. Wow. Yeah, so it, it, it is to say that there is a lot of movement in this direction. There's some interest and where you're not only going to have 
your fuel cell, which is, uh, again, you have your hydrogen that's converted to electricity, but rather your hydrogen that's used via your traditional combustion process. So it's kind of like you, you the, the combustion engine is not beat and defeated, I don't think. And again, when I go back to certain advocates of the combustion engine that just love the feel of the engine, you know, that that rumbling, that 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 sensation that you get when you're driving, you know, and mm. I'm, I'm personally not one of those people, like I'm just whatever, but some mm. people just love that stuff. So mm. if you want to sell to that market, well, you better have something that they're going to enjoy and what what better than to give them something that's going to fulfill all those uh psychological psychological points it's going to hit that that vibration it's going to hit that noise it's going to have that feel but on top of that it's um, uh it, it it produces a clean exhaust i think if, that i think if, that's great if they can pull that off that uh that would be incredible because something we haven't discussed about the fuel cell is this catalyst which the best catalyst that we know of so far is using platinum you have to use you have to coat it with platinum and i read this whole um journal article in uh, uh johnson and math Mat- Mat- uh was the name of the journal and it's the role of platinum in uh, proton exchange membrane fuel cells the, the the fuel cell that we just we described at the beginning of this podcast but um they basically analyzed it and and determined that of all known catalysts for hydrogen, platinum is by far the best. Like everything else uh, underperforms, and they basically conclude that, um, you know, here, let me read uh, a little bit from the very conclusion. So, the relative cost of a gram of platinum makes the promise of systems using cheaper metals seductive. So, they're saying platinum is expensive, it's rare. So, uh, it costs a lot, so can we? You know, it's seductive to think: can we make a catalyst, uh, or um, yeah, a catalyst uh, from another material? They go on. They say, however, alternative systems containing uh, base metals have fundamental limitation limitations, such as the lack of activity, poor selectivity, uh, leading to H two O two formation, or uh, catalyst degradation caused by lack of stability under the fuel cell operating conditions which all must be addressed so when they talk about lack of activity and uh, selectivity these are terms described later i'm not going to go into them here but they're they're, these were the criteria which they were judging the performance of the catalyst and then they say uh, uh these other these other um catalysts made the formation of h2o2 that's hydrogen peroxide you know it, it looks like water but mm-hmm. it's hydrogen peroxide and uh that is corrosive. uh that's corrosive Oxygen. in small amounts is fatal if you breathe or drink it so you yeah you don't want to be making that uh as a result so um The final sentence of that conclusion is this. It says, as academia and industry continues to develop both platinum and non-platinum systems, the question for the future is whether the greater lead that the platinum systems have in both utility and economics will reduce or, uh, or, as seems more likely, increase. So they're saying, okay, 
even if because uh, they talk about in the journal the the way that we're currently doing platinum systems there's still a few tweaks we can do such as like um using less platinum just and just using it on the very surface of the of the uh of the anode and cathode in 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 our in our fuel cells that could basically up its performance but it's still like a fundamental part of it so mm-hmm. my whole point here is that Platinum's expensive. It's kind of one of the limiting factors in these fuel cells. So if they can pull off a combustion version, man, that that changes things. I think a lot um, in terms of having a mix of uh, uh, possibilities. Yeah. Yeah, and like without, and I won't go. We won't go into too much detail on the the combustion of hydrogen and the flaws of it because there are disadvantages and i'm sure if you googled it you'll find a host of people that talk about the disadvantages of using hydrogen for combustion however if toyota uh, one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world has just recently announced this this was an article that i pulled up uh just today but they had written this in um, just a couple of weeks ago, April 22nd, 2021. So this is a very recent development. So they are looking at this very closely right now. Um, and yeah, I'm only curious to see what they're going to, what's going to come out of it because yeah. they, they already have decades of research on hydrogen by virtue of working on the Toyota Mirai and the Mirai 2.0. And I'm just, I'm very curious to see how that's just going to develop throughout the years. Uh, now, Toyota, that's, uh, is that Japan or where's, yeah, right? Japanese. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Let's play that next clip because I think he talks about different places in the world that really push in the hydrogen, and uh, that's one of them. Clip number 10? Uh, clip number 10, yes, yeah. In geographical areas such as Europe, or will it be areas such as China and such as India? Because I know that you're looking at both of those areas in really meaningful ways. It's very interesting you ask. I think the race is on. I think Korea, Japan, China, India, are really pushing the hydrogen agenda forward. Europe is doing so as well. I think Europe will and can keep the lead uh, because it, it has come out with a very explicit hydrogen strategy, which is very bold. And I think technology and energy will will blend together and find a way to uh, to give us a solution. And we've talked about hydrogen in, in Davos before, and I know Davos. that it is, if there was a man who's passionate about it, it's <laughs> you, Marco, as well. But there is a public opinion problem with hydrogen, yeah. isn't there? And I know that's one of your key challenges and, and something you you continue to present on, but you have solutions for that, do you? Yeah, I think consumers have to come at the end. I think we need to first get into lorries, into trains, into factories. Cars will come. Hydrogen will become much cheaper, will become competitive with fossil fuels, we think, in five to ten years. But we need to leave cars for last. The problem with hydrogen, it started with cars, but cars have their own challenge and consumers and infrastructure and availability of cars. We'll get there, but we need to start with a heavy industry. We need to start with all those, what we call hard to abate sectors, where it's really hard to get electrons in. It's really hard to have a steel plant running on electricity or a truck running on batteries. That's where hydrogen starts. And then eventually, when we get more comfortable with it, when it gets cheaper, it gets to consume cart before the horse you know he's making that exact point that we made earlier and um i, I laughed when they said i talked about this in davos <laughs> yeah davos a bunch of elite people flying on in private jets to talk about <laughs> climate change <laughs> <laughs> davos. Uh, davos um 
but yeah, I mean, he 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 says right there in that clip. Look at the countries he's listing that are p- pushing it. Uh, Japan was there, China, India, and Europe. Nowhere was there mentioned Canada, the U.S. You know, we, the earlier clips we heard were coming from you know California and stuff like that. But you can see the difference uh, across the pond in terms of the um, the urgency. Not, yeah, the urgency or just the acceptability of of hydrogen, like uh, in, in their into their into their societies, into their you know energy production. Mm-hmm. And I think he he made a good point about how there has to be a, a transition, and at first it's more heavier uh, heavier industries that need to incorporate hydrogen. And to that end, uh, one of the articles that I pulled up was in relation to the hydrogen buses, uh, the hydrogen bus fleet that was purchased and used in Vancouver for the uh, 2010 Vancouver Olympics. So it was kind of like done as a test proof of concept type of thing and the timing was great because it was the vancouver olympics so all eyes were on canada on vancouver and uh you know what what better thing to do than show off the new technologies that you have running within your cities so they had purchased a fleet of uh, of vehicles of buses that were powered on hydrogen and this came under criticism uh, several years later because mm. they had to uh, cancel the program and they no longer used the hydrogen powered buses um, however i think it's i found this article and it kind of like phrased it in a different light and it kind of addressed some of the main goals of the project and that was that it was not meant to necessarily be a um, a project that that kept on going but rather it was meant to be a five-year demonstration to see whether hydrogen buses could handle daily service year round and to that end the buses ran from 2010 to 2014 they were used for up to 22 hours a day so that's quite a bit in a day uh, for more than 4 million kilometers of daily service in temperatures as low as minus 20 degrees Celsius. Um, so that to say that the the premise behind using these buses was a first time. Uh, keep, keep in mind that at this point in time, nowhere else had done it. So this was literally the first place where buses had been rolled out and used that were powered based off of hydrogen and as a proof of concept, like, hey, can we run this? Can we service these buses um, on a daily basis, on a monthly, on a yearly basis? And they were able to do so and have buy-in from the community, which is also kind of important what what this gentleman touched on uh, as well was getting the acceptability from the community, getting the acceptability from society that, hey, this is something that really jives with our values. And those were all uh, checks that they were able to tick off with this project. So, and, and after this, this has led to now a boom of hydrogen power buses that has taken place. And now there's literally thousands globally, thousands of hydrogen buses globally. Unfortunately, very none of them in Canada or U.S. I don't think as well, uh, but yet, yet. yet. Um, but globally, this has led to thousands of buses that are powered on hydrogen to be 
in operation to be in circulation. So it was a proof of concept to show that, hey, you can run hydrogen power vehicles for four years. You can have their, your maintenance, your serviceability, all that stuff, and you're good to go. And I think that was just kind of like an interesting um, proof of concept to show that this is doable. It's going to cost more. At the time, the buses were $2.1 million for each whereas a similar diesel power bus was about six hundred thousand dollars so there are those differences uh however uh from what i was reading though the the cost of the bus has actually gone down um at now of course from from 2.1 million to maybe 1.2 million per bus and uh and and soon to be around 1 million as well so the, the the price of the buses are going down and um and to be like more comparable with with a diesel powered bus so all that to say that you might have to pay a bit more but it's getting to that point where maybe people will be willing to pay more maybe maybe they will pay more just a little, that extra little bit to cover the initial capital cost but then long term there might be, uh, uh, then you have to look at the payback period and all that stuff. Not to get into the economics of things, but yeah, and maybe they don't. Maybe, maybe they even won't have to pay more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk. Okay, let's talk about this because the, the way it was presented, I know how it was presented. It was like you know, Vancouver is on the world stage, hosting the Olympics, and we all know the bullshit that goes on with hosting the Olympics. You move your homeless away, you clean up your city, <laughs> da, 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 da. There's things pe- people do to make themselves look good that people don't like, and I get that. So the idea here was that they had the hydrogen buses and then people left, the world's eyes left them, and they didn't keep those hydrogen buses. But as what I'm hearing you say from this article, that was never the intent. And what they actually were doing was... Um, you know, doing a pilot scale, and we talk about the scalability and testing out the uh, a technology's ability to scale. These are the type of things you have to do. I had an interesting experience when I worked for uh, a local municipality. They were trying to expand their water treatment system, their wastewater treatment system, because their the community was growing, and they knew they were going to have more uh, wastewater they had to treat, and so. Uh, instead of you know pouring a bunch of money into just making all their tanks bigger, bigger they tried this novel technology, which uses um, magnetite, which is a mineral that they would introduce as a powder into their tanks, um, and it was supposed to latch on to some of the solids and help it settle out quicker. And then, as those solids were scraped off the bottom, they would use a magnet to collect all the powder back, and they would go over and over. So it's very kind of you know, unique novel solution to it. They tried it out, okay, for a whole summer. They got the results back, and you know what? They didn't use it. They didn't use it. However, okay, this technology is not dead. This technology is continuing to get better, and its ability for communities who are often like rural ones are very conservative. They're they're more likely to stick with the status quo or or proven technologies. Had the ins like you know they had the wisdom to try out something new. That company gets new data on how it can actually like work in a in a community. It goes back to the the, the drawing board and maybe fixes some of the issues that it was having. And the issue, I believe, was like it was clogging up the filter downstream with the small amounts of uh, uh, magnetite that was getting through. So you know. 
when we talk about emerging technologies, you have to have a platform or, or a willing audience, a willing um, government to allow you to try it at some scale and and then you take the lessons learned from there. So now with people using, you know, Vancouver using the buses for, for five years, they see all the problems with it. Now, uh, but, you know, as Europe uh, and uh, Asia starts to develop hydrogen as a, into their infrastructure, and that surely will leak over to Canada because, you know, uh, we'll, you know everything follows uh, eventually and works both ways. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be able to come back to the idea of having hydrogen buses again um, at some point, And we're going to have, you know, all the benefits of knowing what we need to know about them from from these attempts that we've tried earlier. And you have to do these things, especially in Canada, when you have like, obviously, Vancouver is not as cold as Alberta or Ottawa. And you don't want to buy things like a light rail train that doesn't work in the winter. But um, <laughs> who would do that? <laughs> who would do that? Uh, but you know, you want, you, you know, there's steps to this, and you got to prove that works in the right climate. And that's one of the things they did. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a really good point that you can't just dismiss this from that one perspective I presented earlier that like, oh, so hypocritical. They, they had it while the world was looking and then tossed it as soon as they looked away type thing. Yeah, exactly. And and to add to that, when you do have these different technologies that are emerging, uh, again, like well, kind of like what that gentleman was saying, where you, we have to start big, then go small. Well, one other area where hydrogen uh, powered vehicles would really excel are also in air trans air travel, which a lot of people look at and say, "Hey, you know, we have all these airplanes that are traveling um, all over the world. Uh, you know, travel tourism has exploded in the last decade or so." People want to travel all over the place, and that is a huge source of pollution. Well, your battery power uh, method of transportation doesn't really tackle airplanes whatsoever. Enter hydrogen and Airbus. Uh, their little company you might be familiar with Airbus, but mm, Airbus <laughs> never heard of them. Yeah, but they they make some uh, airplanes um, that are used uh, around the world, and they actually had another article that I found uh, dated November twenty sixth, twenty twenty, looking at a hydrogen uh, combustion um, engine for their airplanes so we have airbus one of the biggest airplane producers in the world that are also looking at using hydrogen as uh, as a combustion uh, methodology for their airplanes which goes back to reducing the emissions associated with air travel which is quite large um, because again traveling has just boomed so much in the last few years so i just found that that was pretty interesting that um we have such huge companies like Toyota, like Airbus, and that they're looking at the solutions at, at a large scale as well. So we have buses, we have uh, airplanes that could potentially be running on hydrogen. And again, when we're looking at um, battery electric vehicles, they are nowhere to be seen when it comes to larger applications, when it comes to your airplanes, your big trucks. So one area of application where hydrogen does excel in relation to electric batteries is these bigger uh, airplanes, trucks, so on and so forth. And I think one of the ma major hurdles is just simply weight. You just can't, your batteries get way too heavy uh, to power aircrafts of any exactly. substantial size. Um, yeah, that's a big one. 
that could be a game changer for uh, for our travel if they can work that out. And it, it had this really interesting quote that I just want to put out there, which just kind of like really just to put things into into perspective. When the world's first internal combustion engine was revved up, it was hydrogen gas, not gasoline or diesel that burned as its fuel. The year was 1804, over 200 years ago, after successfully designing several steam-powered carriages, Francis Franco-Swiss inventor Isaac de Rivas set his sights on using an explosive charge instead of steam uh, inside a stationary engine to power a pump. His first experiments focused on creating an explosion within the engine cylinder to drive the piston out. At that time, he used a mixture of hydrogen and oxygen gas to ignite this explosion, and it worked. By 1807, Derivaz's experimental prototype engine was being used to propel a carriage a short distance, thereby garnering the distinction as the world's first vehicle driven by an internal combustion engine. So, man, it's, it's crazy. We're looking at, <laughs> like, over 200 years of experience with this, but... Hopefully, I don't know. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you hear that, you go, oh, like, 1804. It, 1804. Is it, uh, it not taken off because we've run into uh, a hurdle that's insurmountable with the terms of technology, or is it just hasn't been looked at um, with enough interest to, to get us to the point where this is commercially yeah. viable? That's, that's the way I look at mm-hmm. that, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I have a you know an end of episode clip. I like to throw something a little different at the very end, just uh, food for thought. Uh, if you're good with wrapping it up, uh, we could hit uh, clip number uh, twelve there. Let's and do uh, it. Uh, before I actually, so this is uh, this is Russell Brand uh, actually talking about um, comedian. Yeah, a comedian, okay. but now uh, a movie actor. Uh, you know, he had uh, fought. Uh, a battle with drug addiction. Uh, now he's quite active uh, podcaster, and he tackles a lot of different uh, topics, including um, climate change, big tech, um, a lot of stuff. And uh, he got a lot. Of, he's getting a lot of interesting guests on. And but this was just taken from one of his shorter bits, uh, commenting on Elon Musk's recent talk about. Um, Merging people with a uh, merging people with um, uh, what's his mind link, uh, Neuralink. Neuralink. Okay, okay. Um, but although it's related to Neuralink, I think what he has to say is an interesting point that applies to some of the things we talk about. So, go ahead and hit number number twelve there. Let's do it. A good purpose, uh, which is to cure important diseases, um, and ultimately to help secure humanity's uh, future as a civilization relative to AI. Again, I suppose the agenda is being set by people that are in a particular position. I'm not trying to make an enemy of Elon Musk. I met Elon Musk once. He's clearly, unquestionably, a brilliant person. Brilliant person, though, operating within an economic framework. Also, might I contest that his genius is within a particular discipline. And we have this tendency, latterly, to think that there is a cross-pollinization of genius. Oh, this guy's a genius in tech, let's have him organize society. No, this person's a genius in tech, let's have him stick with tech and we'll handle society. In fact, no individual should be charged with such a potent and potentially 
dangerous endeavour. This is something that we're learning now can only be undertaken collectively. We are so diverse, we are so different. There's nothing wrong with any of our expressions of who we are and how we are and how we acculturate, acclimatise, express ourselves, as long as it doesn't hurt other people or the planet. Now, let's, where possible, decentralise and organise our personal realities and our collective realities along lines that are mutually respectful, beneficial and enjoy the glory, the glory of life, the beauty of life, the tragedy of life, its transience, the irrefutable fact of death, the irrefutable fact of pain. Let's use science and technology to improve our experience here within limitations and without the constant agenda of the pursuit of profit. As long as the strata within which these ideas are forced to exist is ultimately a financial and economic one, there will be problems. All right, I know that was a, a lot in there, uh, not all related to what, what we've been discussing, but um, it, there's a, there's lots to think about in there. But one of the one of the things he says, you know, I like. Yeah, I'm not trying to make an enemy of Elon Musk, and I I'm not trying to make an enemy of Elon Musk either. But and and like he very much says, he's a very smart guy who's pursuing some big problems and he's and he's doing uh his you know darnest darnest to work on these problems and um but he is uh he's just one man and he is just one man with one idea about what our future holds so you know he might be saying hydrogen's dumb and you know that's his opinion he's entitled to it. he's doing great work in other areas and maybe questionable work in others but Whatever your feelings on it, uh, I think, you know, Russell Brand is making the point. Experts are good and we need them, uh, but they shouldn't be in charge of everything, especially things that go beyond their expertise, uh, such as running societies. And I would say even just maybe, you know, specialization beyond what you're specifically working in. If he's working on electricity, maybe he shouldn't be the guy commenting how dumb hydrogen is. You know, I think the the point that Russell makes is that a diversity of ideas around this, there's a strength to that. There's a, a corrective action that happens when you have more diverse ideas. There's a, there's more balance. There's less um, risk in terms of one goes down, you you lose everything because you have this diversity. Um, you know, he has, Russell Brand has he's speaking to other things about politics and and other things in this, but. Not not to go down that road, but just thinking of it more from um, our perspective on this podcast about looking at all these different technologies and uh, trying to accumulate them and fit them in where they deserve to be um, used is is a point about diversity and its importance. Um, that's that's what I got from that uh, that clip there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important point that you know what. One person might say something, they might be really smart in their field, and we should maybe consider what they have to say about the, this other field, but it's, we just have to consider that they have limits to their genius, they have limits to their intelligence, whether they might be really true and really correct in one thing, but they might not, they might hit, miss the mark in, in another discipline. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. 
understand the the limitations of what people are saying and that yeah it is truly a, a diversity of ideas and kind of like goes back to like what i was saying that there is no uh, one solution there is no silver bullet when it comes to what is the energy um, system mechanism that will benefit the a particular city well you have to look at the climate of the city you have to look at the geographies you have to look at you know, the, the accessibility to different technologies and you have to consider all these different variables and then consider okay maybe we need more batteries maybe we need more hydrogen maybe we need more methane natural gas uh, based on these factors and then throw in some renewables this and that and we just have to just have that in mind that there is no one-size-fits-all solution when we come to such complex um, scenarios such as how do we power a, a, a huge grid of electricity like these are complex issues that not no one person can truly uh, solve I, I think so for yeah, sure i think that was a, a good way to end the podcast um that was a hydrogen uh we talked a lot oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot about uh hydrogen vehicles hydrogen storage um large-scale applications of hydrogen uh, I feel like this is going to be a subject that we maybe touch on later episodes as well, just because there's so much to cover. Um, but uh, that was kind of like a, a cursory look. Hydrogen power vehicles, they're on the rise. Combustion engine using hydrogen, that's on the rise. Large scale application with airplanes, buses, that's on the rise. And um, I think, I think, uh, more importantly though the societal hunger or thirst for it is also on on the rise and people are looking for solutions that are more uh sustainable more renewable um and we can get into discussions of what those two mean but we'll just leave it at that maybe that'll be next episode whatever oh yeah, yeah. um but uh, so that was the hydrogen episode um and yeah if you guys like that take a uh, take a minute to give us a good review on your apple podcasts send us leave us a comment on youtube uh and join our mailing list on our website firstprinciplespodcast.com and until then we are signing off this was trees and this is elliot and i want to say something too you know we are in uh, the early stages of developing this podcast but we're seeing the downloads um we're seeing that people are listening and uh I want to say thank you. Um, I mean, it means a lot to us that we uh, aren't just speaking into the void. Um, people are taking their time to to listen to what we have to say, and we want to hear from you. Eventually, uh, we're going to set up a platform where we can communicate a bit better with with our listeners. Um, uh, just uh, please be patient. We're on our way there, but um, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Peace. And we'll catch you guys later. Peace. Peace.